Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Land Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am David Walker, and I am joined by my regular co-host during the regular season for the post-game podcast. And of course, I'm talking about one of the fellow writers at the Falcoholic, Evan Birchfield. Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you know, the season's over with, but there's still football to be enjoyed um, on the national level. So. Yeah, just uh, hanging in there, ready for the off season, and uh, to see what happens, you know, before next season begins. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we get into the depth of sort of planning for 2020, for what the off season is going to look like for the Falcons, we're going to take a look back today. We're going to look at the uh, Falcons' defense and special teams. We're going to do a little bit of a review, uh, recap what happened, our thoughts on some of the coaches, the players, how they performed. Um, last week, uh, for those of you who didn't hear it, uh, Dave Choate, Gina and I got together and we talked about the offense. Uh, so this is the follow-up to that podcast. And of course, Evan and I are going to break that down here for you today. So let's jump into it. Um, Evan, I want to start with the coaches. Cause I think this is really where everything, uh, begins with when we talk about the conversation, uh, not just about, you know, the defense, but the team as a whole. Uh, but I want to focus specifically on the defense since that, uh, was really an area where I think there was a lot of optimism from uh, you know, Falcons fans coming into the season. Uh, and arguably, this is where some of the biggest letdowns happened. So obviously, for a recap, uh, Dan Quinn, at the end of 2018, fired Marquan Manuel, who was the defensive coordinator. Uh, it felt like a weird move because the defense in 2018 was decimated by injuries. Um, and yet, Dan Quinn said that he was going to take over in 2019. A lot of people, myself included, thought that was going to uh, result in an improved defense. Um, through the first eight games of the season, the Falcons were 28th in DVOA, uh, Football Outsiders Advanced Metric, uh, which was is pretty bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then midway through the year, they made a change. Uh, Dan Quinn realized he was not getting it done, so he fired himself, I guess, and... Uh, put Raheem Morris and Jeff Ulbrich in charge of the defense. Uh, And in the second half of the season, the defensive unit improved uh, to finish the year ranked 20th in DVOA. So uh, a substantial improvement, which really says, you know, back half of the season, they were probably more of a middle of the road defense compared to being one of the worst defenses in the league in the first half of the year. So Evan, let me ask you first, what do you think of the coaches uh, of Dan Quinn, obviously, as defensive coordinator, that experiment. Uh, mm-hmm. And now that we know Raheem Morris is going to continue as defensive coordinator, maybe give me your thoughts of you know the future for him and calling this defense in 2020. Yeah, so all we can really do is analyze with basically the data we've been given. And luckily for looking at the data, our bye week was smack dab in the middle of week nine. So we have the first eight weeks to look at. Then we have the week nine buffer. 
Then we have from 10 to 17, which is the rest of the season. Um, and it's like night and day. Um, I know there's different teams being played. Literally, our entire divisional games took place in the second half, um, which you would think would be a little more difficult. But when you just look at it overall, from the moment that the switch happened, um, from, as you were saying, Dan Quinn basically taking a back seat, letting Morris take over, um, I mean, you look at the biggest thing for me is the turnovers, right? So in the first eight weeks, we only had four turnovers on defense and three of them came against the Eagles in week two, which we won. um, And then one against the Houston Texans where we pretty much got destroyed. Um, So then you look at the second half, um, we had four alone against the Carolina Panthers. um, And then you look at it total, it's eight, 10, let's see. 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, 16 in the second half compared to four <laughs> in the first eight games. Like, I mean, that, that it was, it was the move that had to be made, um, to keep him and, you know, keep him on as defensive coordinator, as long as nobody else was, you know, looking at, at removing him from the team and or hiring him elsewhere. Um, because he earned it. I mean, you just look overall the first two games after being, you know, beat by the Seattle Seahawks, a game where the defense gave up 322 yards. I mean, they pretty much had their way with us running the ball, 151 yards uh, total for them. And then against the Saints, at the Saints, better yet, and then at the Panthers, I mean, you're only giving up 12 points total with those games combined. Um, It's night and day difference. And that can't just be a coincidence when you look at overall how the defense you know, they, they certainly you can look at stats, you know, to prove your point on everything. But also, if you watched all of the games, you noticed a difference. The defense was making plays. Um, guys who weren't stepping up were all of a sudden stepping up. Um, Vic Beasley even, like, was, right. look, you know, it's like – Six and a half sacks in the there, second there's, half Yeah, the exactly. I mean, there's so much you can argue for. And – like I said, the stats back it up, but it was also the eye test. Um, the first half of the season, abysmal. I mean, you, they gave fifty up 53 points in one game, right? Yeah. Yep. The second yes. half of the season, the most they gave up in a game was against the Buccaneers in week 12, and it was 35. The rest, I mean, was all like in the 20s. Uh, you know, obviously, the more points you give up, better chance you're going to lose. And then right. – they gave up the second uh, most in the um, back half of the season was the Saints game. Lost that, but every other game they won. You know because yeah. they allowed um, they allowed what twenty two points or less. So yeah. you know and that's a that's a big statement because in the first in the first uh, eight games, I mean you win by having more points. The first eight games, the the only game they they gave up was uh, twenty points against the Eagles, and they won that game. Obviously, everything else was 24 or more points. Yeah. So, I mean, and the proof's I, in the pudding there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and some people are going to point to sort of the strength of the competition in the second half, and I would mm-hmm. argue, well, you know, they faced the Saints um, twice, which was yeah. a 13-win team. They beat San Francisco. Which in was San one Francisco the, and at, in New Orleans. Right. Uh, and those are two playoff teams, and San Francisco has one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah. Um, granted, they did face the Bucks and the Panthers twice. But that's one of the things I like about the DVOA is it takes into account the strength of your competition in mm-hmm. determining those rankings. So even when you take that into account, they went from 28th after eight games to 20th. Again, 
to make that sort of a jump, they had to have been somewhere, you know, maybe in the 12 to 15 range in the second half of the year, which is a a substantial improvement, uh, as you were noting. And I think a lot of the the basic statistics even point that out. So um, certainly I think there's reason to be optimistic that Raheem Morris will be uh, a much better defensive coordinator uh, going into 2020. But, you know, knock on wood, we thought that about Mm -hmm. Dan Quinn going into this season. So I want to move on now to special teams because uh, before we get into, you know, the defensive line, linebackers, secondary, I want to talk a little bit briefly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very um, briefly. <laughs> about the, the special team situation. I want to start with the punters. Uh, we'll make this mm-hmm. easy um, because uh, we went through like 45 of them during the season, it seemed like. Um, Matt Bosher got injured. He was brought back, got injured again, finished out on, uh, you know, injured reserve for the season. Um, there's some serious questions about whether he'll even be back. Uh, the Falcons went through a few players before they finally landed on Ryan Allen, who I believe came, mm-hmm. uh, I think he last played with the Patriots this year. Um, and I, in my opinion, I think there's a conversation to be had about keeping Allen maybe over Bosher. And, and I'm a big Matt Bosher fan. I love what he's done uh, since his time in Atlanta, but um, Allen seemed to really uh, come together as our punter uh, in the back half of the season, uh, constantly pinning teams inside, you know, inside their 15, inside their 10. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that punter situation, Bosher yeah. versus Allen, uh, how that played out? Uh, I mean, I, I like Bosher, you know, I don't, it, it's one of, he's one of those guys that's been around for so long, kind of like how Matt Bryant was where you don't really remember much before him, but obviously, you know, we had like Michael Kanan and stuff like that. But uh, Ryan Allen, I mean, he stepped up when we ha- – it seemed like we were having a rotation at punter. Um, but, you know, Ryan Allen was for some reason available, and it was because the Patriots drafted um, – I believe he's Jake Bailey from uh, Stanford, I think, or something like that, in like the fifth round or something. But anyways, they slapped right. him in the draft yeah. um, and basically made Ryan Allen expendable. And he was, I believe he won three Super Bowls with the Patriots and he was yeah. a part of that 2016 um, team or whatever. So, you know, and then he comes here um, and we actually went back, you know, it's not like we had him for eight straight games. No. We had to go back. Yeah. We had to go back to him because they ended up releasing him because Matt, Matt Bosher came off of IR, I believe. And then he got re-injured or whatever and ended up back on IR or whatever it was. And Ryan Allen, you know, was still available and, you know, he passed the eye test for me. He had 28 punts. Um, I mean, I'm not a punting guru or anything, but I did find it interesting that his yards per punt um, is identical to what Matt Bosher's was (laughs) 41.9, like to a T. Um, (laughs) So uh, yeah, uh, you know, but he, I don't know, you know, I think it'll come down to more of the contracts and stuff like that. Um, and Bosher, you know, his, his season was lingered by injuries, um, you know, and he's 30, he's 32. I don't know what his birthday is, but he may end up being 33. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Allen's Allen is four, 29. Or three, yeah, three years younger, yep. maybe four. I don't know. I guess it depends on how their birthdays line up. But um, he, I mean, he looked good. He wasn't losing us games. There were several times I remember actually noticing where, the punt like should have been stopped within like the 10 yard line, but rolled into the end zone. Um, the punter's not going to, it, it's not his job to recover it. It's just to get them down there, you know, yeah. and then we have the gunners basically who are supposed to stop the ball. So that's not always on him. Um, 
but you know, he was reliable. I think that was the biggest takeaway. He was reliable. He wasn't screwing anything up. Yeah. And that's what you want from a punter. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, I, I do think there's a chance we'll see both guys in camp. Um, you know, the, obviously the Falcons. Yeah. And, and honestly, that really is how it should be. Uh, let, let these guys compete and see who comes on on top. Um, let's switch over to, I think, you know, potentially the hot button topic for special teams. And that's the kicking situation. Um, obviously the Falcons, um, decided to not exercise the last year of Matt Bryant's contract in the off season. Uh, they, I guess, decided to go younger with Giorgio Tavecchio, who came in when Matt Bryant was injured in 2019, uh, 2018, pardon me, and, and did a fairly good job, you know, made all his kicks and I think impressed the team so much so that they kept two kickers on the team through the rest of the season. Um, yeah, Matt Bryant's my age. He's, he's in the mid forties. He's, uh, obviously up there, uh, to the point where he's very near, if not retired at this point. Um, but the whole way they handled the situation where they didn't even bring him into camp. Um, they went with Tavecchio, you know, based off a small sample size, uh, Tavecchio started falling apart quickly in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team realized that his, I guess, mentally, he was beginning to, to become, uh, unglued they started bringing in other guys, including Blair Walsh. And I feel like the Blair Walsh incident was really what spurred them going back to Bryant and saying, Hey, we made a mistake. Can you come back? And then of all things, mid season after Bryant misses some 50 yard plus field goals, the team releases him again, um, which Evan, you broke the news on Twitter before anyone else did. Uh, Kudos for for that. (laughs) Um, And then finally they, they landed on young way um, who I think was up and down. Uh, he had some good games. He had some uh, bad misses. Uh, but what's your what's your take on the kicking situation from the beginning of the season, you know, all the way to where we are now, where it looks like Young Way Koo will get the chance to earn the job in 2020? Yeah, I mean, the big takeaway is he's pretty reliable within the basically 40-ish range to lower, um, which is great, you know, but kickers should be making those kicks. Um, the con for me is that they, and me and you have talked about it on other, on uh, previous shows uh, on the post game podcast is they, in eight, in eight games, he only had one attempt over 50 yards. Like that still, right. every time I think of it, it's bizarre. Um, it was... Cause it, Matt Bryant was with us for, I believe seven games and he had six attempts from 50. Now that could be more of the, well, the offense um, was worse in the first half, which is certainly an argument. And they had to basically rely on these long, you know, kicks where Matt Bryan went two of six uh, from 50 plus. But um, there was times where, and I think you even mentioned it too, where it seemed like they would rather punt than have him kick a 50 plus field goal, which, you know, you're taking points off the board um, or potential points off the board anyways. And then the one kick he had that was 50 plus yeah, it went in, but it was pretty – it wasn't like a clean hit. It, like, hit the goalpost and bounced in. Um, so it could have easily been a miss. Uh, but I'm certainly not saying, yeah, don't let him be the kicker next year. But as you mentioned with the punting situation, there needs to be competition, um, which, you know, I don't know if the team learned their lesson because, you know, I want to say they did, but the way they, you know – bailed on Matt Bryant and then brought him back and then bailed on him again shows that maybe they aren't 
learning, you know, <laughs> from their, from their mistakes. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the whole onside kick element, you know, that's certainly something you have to look at because if you can have an onside kick master, oh, then it's, it, no like, that's such an ability that hasn't really been a thing in the NFL. Like I don't recall, uh, you know, in my, since I've been alive, a, situation where a kicker seems so easily able to kick onside kicks and you know me and you talked about it I I believe it was the Saints game where they were in Atlanta Um, yes two of them were called were flagged or something and then the the one of them was successful but they were they were poorly flagged because it was legal for what happened I think one guy was like they said was offsides and he wasn't and there was something else um, so like every, every onside kick he technically had this season was successful. Was successful. <laughs> that, I mean, that's in itself, you know, something to look at, like maybe he's not going to hit those 50 plus, um, maybe his distance isn't that long. I don't know. Maybe that's something you look at in the preseason, but you definitely have to have competition. Um, but also kickers, it's such a weird thing where you, you, like you mentioned with Tavecchio, and maybe, well, actually, I think Blair Walsh is just not good. But with Tavecchio, um, he was great last season. And then it's like he missed a couple and his confidence was completely shot. Yeah, it spiraled. Um, yeah, I was at that uh, that week four preseason at Jacksonville game. Um, and you could t- the second he missed that one, it was like everybody in the booth was just kind of like, uh-oh. Like, yeah. like that, they knew that was the end. And I don't think he, he kicked again. I think they brought Blair Walsh in in the second half. And then Matt Bryant was signed a couple of days later, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to play roulette with kickers. But yeah, me and you could spend an hour talking about yeah. how blessed <laughs> we've been at the kicking position. But you definitely have to have a, um, you know, some competition for him. You know, you don't want to just hand him the job because if he screws up, you're going to be in the same exact boat again. Exactly. Yep. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Falcons bring in several guys to compete at kicker uh, in 2020 based off the, uh, the, the, the experiment, if you will, from 2019, <laughs> which went horribly. All right, we're going to shift gears and talk now about the defense. Uh, so going back to the original point of the, the podcast, uh, reviewing the defense for this year. And I want to start with the defensive line because uh, I think if there's a unit that was sort of Hot and cold, it was this unit. Um, you know, the first half, you know, we talked about it. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the only person arguably who was performing uh, the entire season was Grady Jarrett, uh, who deserved uh, his first Pro Bowl nod. Um, mm-hmm. He was one of the best interior pass rushers in the entire NFL. I believe he finished, uh, what was it, with seven sacks, seven or eight sacks um, from the interior, which seven is seven and a half. So right, right, there, you were yeah, right. right in the middle. <laughs> uh, so right in the middle of that, um, which is really, you know, for defensive tackles, that's a great number. Um, and uh, honestly had uh, at least two that I know were taken away from him from bogus roughing the passer penalties. Yep. So arguably could have had nine to 10 sacks uh, if the NFL knew what roughing the passer actually was. <laughs> um, but let's talk about their overall performance. Uh, I want to start first with some of the free agents we brought in because uh, I feel like, you know, we, we actually got some decent value here. We brought in uh, two guys in particular, Alan Bailey and Tyler Davison. Um, what are your thoughts on these two guys, how they did in the year? Uh, were they worth, you know, the relative uh, money that they were given? Yeah, I mean, I liked Davison in the preseason, so I was kind of excited to see what the regular season would turn out. I mean, he had 
one sack and I believe Bailey also had one sack and uh, Bailey, you know, was only, he only started in like five games. So he was more of like, I guess a depth, you know, player for him. I don't know. Um, but I mean, Davison, somebody who you probably don't want starting, but I think he's really good depth for the team. Um, I don't know what their plan is to do to address it because the Falcons, honestly, their defensive line wasn't that bad in regards to the run defense. So right. yeah. I don't think, you know, it's, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, they, you know, they sucked. Um, Cause they certainly were doing their job overall and it's hard to nitpick and pick it apart. I think the Falcons could certainly upgrade, um, you know, maybe in the draft, like uh, I know that people kept on about Derek Brown and stuff. Like if they got like a really solid defensive tackle next to him. That could be fun. Um, yeah. But Davison's certainly someone I'd like to see back. Alan Bailey. Um, I mean, I think he's just a guy. I don't know. He's, yeah. I mean, he's, he's 30. He's probably going to be 31 next year. Like if it's cheap, bring him back. But I mean, if you move on from him, I don't think it's, you know, going to ruin the defensive line by any means. Um, yeah, I think Bailey's contract was structured in such a way that the second year was really sort of a bailout year anyways. Yeah, I think he's gonna so be, he's somebody they may not bring Yeah, back. and it's a four and a half million cap hit to um, keep well, him. That's, yeah, that's a bit much. For so I think they're probably the going to walk. But but Davison is definitely, you know, to your point, someone I can see. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad Claiborne, I think, was one of the more underrated, um, you know, like – four sacks from him. He was, yeah. so he was third on the team in sacks. Like, so yeah, on that note, let's talk about some of the guys who, who, you know, returned, um, yeah. including Claiborne, uh, Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley. Yeah. Uh, and then another name I'll throw in there, uh, who I think is, you know, I've got, there's got a little bit of excitement, excitement around those John Kaminsky. Yeah. Um, or who was a rookie, I guess, uh, this year, not coming back, but let's talk about those four guys the guys that are sort of on the edge. Uh, mm-hmm. Beasley, McKinley, Claiborne, Kaminsky. So you you started on Claiborne. So, yeah, I, I mean it's just you look at he's third on the team in sacks, uh, four sacks for him at his age. I mean that's pretty solid, and yeah. he he's a veteran. Like he's exactly a, what you want in a veteran. Um, he played in I believe all I believe he played in like fifteen games. So um, maybe yeah. not all sixteen, but uh, yeah. I mean I I hope he comes back. I'm not a contract guy, so like I don't know what his like what, what it, it looks forward to next year. Like, is he still on contract and stuff, but I'd love to see him back just because I think it's important to have a veteran presence. You know, we forget like Grady Jarrett, he's, he's only, I think 26 or 27. Like he's still not even what he could be in his prime, so to speak. Like he's, he's still young. Um, but I mean, he's obviously, you know, very talented because he's making the pro bowl and he was like second team all pro. And um, this is interesting. Claiborne was actually, he led the team in hurries. He had 39 hurries. Oh, okay. Um, and next to him was Grady Jarrett who had 29 uh, hurries. There you and, go. Uh, so yeah, to your point, Claiborne was really getting quarterbacks to have to move. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then Kaminsky, I mean, I think with Kaminsky, it is exciting I, th- I think what also played into him not always being out there, aside from, you know, you know having injury and stuff, mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think what needs to be remembered is that until, like, the last week, most of the coaching staff probably thought, <laughs> we're fighting for our jobs here. Like, they're not going to yeah. take risks and run out John Kaminsky, who's, you know, still unproven, just to see what he's got in him for maybe next year. There's such yeah. a, a um, I don't know the word, a be- I guess a benefit of having job security where you could play around with it and be like, 
well, you know, we're not making the playoffs. Let's run John Kaminsky out there and, right. you know, give him a full load and see how he does. Um, but if you're playing for your job, you're going to be more hesitant and be like, no, I can't risk that. I need to keep Tack and Vic Beasley out there. I mean, that's not, that's probably not who you want to save your job, but <laughs> you know, they have more experience is what I'm saying. Right. Um, but you're not going to be willing to take those, you know, more of those risks. I mean, earlier in the season, even um, not to bounce around, but you saw how uh, when Keanu Neal went down, you know, there was people like Sherrod Neesman who could have been brought out, you know, right. to play um, or, you know, just to see what he had in him. But they, they, decided to trade for somebody who had a little more experience just because the coaching staff wasn't willing to take those risks. Um, hopefully, you know, next year, Dan Quinn's not on the hot seat because the Falcons are doing so well that Kaminsky can get, you know, the playing time he deserves because as me and you, you know, we do, we look at the PFF scores and stuff. Um, yeah. He's the, the second, second he highest was doing, rated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the games he played in, he was, he was always in like the top five, you know, yeah. rated and he wasn't getting as many plays as everybody else. Um, but, but he was taking advantage of the plays he got. Exactly. And that's yeah. all that matters. And that shows that, you know, there's potential there and hopefully the staff sees it. Um, and hopefully they all feel inclined to actually use him next year. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for Tat McKinley and, and Vic Beasley, just real quick, some, some stats to consider, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tack finished, number nine uh, yeah. for the Falcons in, in PFF. Uh, and he had 33 total pressures, uh, four sacks, 19 hurries, 10 hits. Um, and then Vic Beasley finished 21st. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure a lot of fans are going to be really surprised by that. Um, <laughs> but he actually, he had one of his better seasons from a pass rushing standpoint. Mm-hmm. He had 36 total pressures, nine sacks, um, three hits and 24 hurries. So I uh, actually, in, you know, as we mentioned earlier, he finished the back half of the season really strong uh, yeah. and, um, you know, arguably is had played himself into a better contract, probably not with Atlanta, but some other team is probably going to look at his last eight games and say, if we can get that player, we can, we can do something with that. So mm-hmm. just some quick thoughts from you on, on Tack and Vic and uh, maybe what you think uh, the future holds for them. Yeah, I mean – I'm sure, you know, a lot of fans want the team to move on from Vic. Um, but he, as you said, aside from what you mentioned, uh, I believe he finished second in tackles for loss, um, tied with Deion Jones. I think Grady was number one for us. Um, you know, he, he's definitely getting in the backfield. Uh, he, uh, you know, led the team in sacks. It was only eight. But, you know, you want to see more than that. Um, I, I think a lot of people would have – been more open to him coming back if it was like 10 or something because that's kind of what you want um but yeah I, I, I just don't see a way for Vic to come back um because I think another team will want to pay him um because yeah. defensive defensive ends in you know unless they're like a what three four and they want to play him at linebacker or whatever um it's such a rarity to have somebody who can get you um any you know like eight sacks in a season and you know we know what he's capable of and what he's not capable of and you know the potential I think a lot of fans thought he had earlier in his career that we're kind of like all burnt out on it by now yeah (laughs) Um, especially what he got paid last season so I think he's probably gone but um, you know that's where having Kaminsky play more and be like give you more I mean because if he's gone who steps in? Like you pretty much have to throw Kaminsky in or draft somebody or sign somebody. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like there's no, it, it, it's a pretty good drop off as bad as Vic um, Beasley has been like, he's still leading the team in a couple, you know, of the big categories we need him to lead in like sacks. Um, but, and then you look at tack, I mean, tack, he only played in, I think 14 games before he got injured. Um, yes. What'd you say? Four sacks. Like he, he looks apart. He has a high motor. Um, they're not going to give up on him this easy, I don't think. I think he's still got another year or two to kind of showcase what he has. Um, yeah, I, I think he's shown more as a pass rusher um, yeah. than Beasley has. Yeah, Beasley. I mean, he hasn't led the league in sacks, and I think that was the one thing that – because if you take that season away, Vic Beasley was a bust. And, right. I, you know, I think that one season kind of saves face for him. Tack hasn't been, you know, on a national level like a pro bowler or anything like that, but he's – I mean, he's he's shown potential. I think, yeah. especially this year. I thought he. I think this year was like his best season. But you know, that's kind of up and in he, the air. <laughs> you know, I, I think fans should remember Tack was playing a good bit of the season with a bum shoulder. You know, yep. uh, which is ultimately what ended his season. Um, and you know, the, the thing I would say about Tack is he has shown more from a pass rushing standpoint than Vic did. Vic was always sort of a uh, a one trick. Pony, you know, he, mm-hmm. he was a speed rusher and, and never did develop much from a pass rush uh, standpoint. Uh, Tack, at least, has shown the ability to use some spin moves, uh, you know, good hand usage. Uh, he can convert speed to power. Uh, we've seen him, you know, bull rush guys and, and be really successful with that. So I think Tack still has a lot of potential. I think, you know, we have to revise sort of our expectations for a pass rusher taken in the first round. They're not all going to be Vaughn Miller. Um, mm-hmm. and, and get you 15, 16 sacks a year. But if you can get a guy that's going to get you seven, eight, nine sacks and maybe be a complimentary guy, um, there is still a ton of value, like you said, for a pass rusher that can get you that. Uh, and it's a big reason why Vic, to your point, will probably get signed somewhere else. Some team is going to see his nine sacks this year and say, we can do something with that. And mm-hmm. you know we're going to pay – uh, more than a minimum contract to to lure him here. So don't be surprised, you know, for the people listening, if Vic gets um, not from Atlanta, I don't expect it to happen from here, but don't be surprised if he gets a deal, you know, with uh, seven, eight million on it, um, you know, a million per sack, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also, you know, helps when you have like a constant pressure on the other side, like tech was doing good, I think. But um, you look at, you know, probably one of the best defensive uh, lines in the NFL right now, and we'll see him in the playoffs this weekend, the Vikings. Um, you see how Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin benefit off each other. I think yeah. Hunter finished the regular season with like 14 or 15 sacks, and then Griffin probably about eight. Um, you got to have like a double punch there, you know. Yeah. Um, I think the 49ers have a similar thing with um, – was it Bosa and D Ford or something like that? Um, And the Falcons really don't have that. Um, It's not, I don't think costing them games, but it's certainly something you'd like to have. Um, And, you know, maybe they'll get it eventually, but I think we're just more focused on trying to get one good pass rusher that we're not really worried about getting a second one. The complimentary guy. Yeah. To that point, you know, if they do get, another good pass rusher in, I think you could see tack. Oh, um, that's what, yeah, that was my point next year. Yeah. Yeah. I hope my point wasn't getting lost there that if you have a really like Daniel Hunter is only benefiting off having Everson Griffin. It's that's the only reason 
the Falcons fell into the whole Ray Edwards thing years ago was because Jared Allen was so good that it was freeing up Ray Edwards. You know, these people in the NFL, they're not terrible as much as you want to think Ray Edwards was garbage. He wasn't terrible. He just was looking a lot better because of who who was playing on the other side of the defensive line, Jared Allen, um, who, you know, I guess he's like a Hall of Famer. I don't know. Or he's really good. He made some Pro Bowls. Um, But that was my overall point. (laughs) I just didn't want it to get lost in there. So overall quality of the defensive line. um, And you almost have to look at it as first half of the season versus second half of the season. So if you're going to give them a grade, A through F, what would your assessment be of the 2019 defensive line? Um. I mean, okay, in my eyes, an A, you're, you're all, like, amazing, probably. You got, like, a Hall of Famer on the line. Um, so I'm going to give them, like, a C-. minus. And it's yeah. not that they were terrible or anything. Um, I mean, it's because more of the pass rush, I think, could obviously be better. But I think they were very underrated in the run game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I, I think – that would keep them from a, like a D in my eyes. Cause I think the strength of the defense a lot of the times was the defensive line teams were forced to pass on us because they couldn't really run the ball a whole lot. I mean, you look at how, how the defense was against like Derrick Henry. Yeah. They gave up a hundred yards to him, but he had 27 carries. Like if you've yeah. been watching the games lately, he should have probably had like 200 yards off of that. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that's what I would give them. Um, are you in the same boat or, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think um, you do have to look at it as a tale of two halves. Um, and I think, you know, the first half would get D minus to an F, and then the second half would get like a a, an, a B. So yeah. I, I think that probably comes out to about a C minus or a C. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, I think the run defense was actually much better than, than people uh, appreciated. And actually the sacks really came together in the second half of the season. Um, and in fact, it was their performance against New Orleans in New Orleans that inspired uh, what the Vikings did in the playoffs just That's this right. past week, uh, where they, they, you know, the Falcons um, were taking their guys off the edge and coming up the middle uh, and, and challenging those guards. And that's ultimately uh, what, was, what, you know, the Vikings leaned on and were incredibly successful with. And the Falcons got six sacks against Drew Brees um, you know, back in week nine, which sort of started the rejuvenation of the Dan Quinn era in Atlanta. <laughs> um, so, and, and they added on to that. It wasn't just them. They did it, you know, they, they had some success in San Francisco. Uh, they had a lot of success against Carolina. Um, you know, they pressured uh, Jameis Winston uh, in the second game uh, a good bit. So I, I think they were inconsistent, but when they were firing on all cylinders, they actually looked pretty good. Um, and that's why I think, you know, if we continue to invest in the defensive line in 2020, try to find another, you know, good pass rusher to, you know, put up there with, with Grady Jarrett and Tat McKinley, bring back, you know, if you can afford him an Adrian Claiborne, uh, to sort of round out the, the depth. I feel like this could be a very good, you know, defensive line with the right coaching mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the right people at the top. So, well, um, and I think what helps too, is now that we know Dan Quinn is coming back, we don't have to worry about, you know, some of these guys who, if a new coach came in, probably would scrap where, you know, they, right. they are very much Dan Quinn guys. Like, you know, I'm a big Jack Crawford fan, yep. even though like the season wasn't tremendous because he, he didn't get like a whole lot of playing time compared to last year because we did add more depth at, on the defensive line um, where if, if Dan Quinn was gone, 
and somebody else came in, a guy like him, more than likely, like 100% is probably gone. Right. Where now, there's a little bit more of a chance he could come back. Probably not, but, I mean, it's still a, there's still a chance there, and I think that speaks volumes for guys, you know, like Tack, who's going to get, you know, th- he's already comfortable with, like, Dan Quinn. I mean, I, you, you saw how they – I posted a video on Twitter about it, um, just how fired up he is with him and stuff on the sidelines. Um, like, that's a Dan Quinn guy. Um, you know, Vic's probably gone more because of the contract, but I don't think if the contract was a big deal, they would bring yeah. him back. Yeah. Um, certainly, but – you know, some of these guys, I think they're, they've got a better chance of sticking around because of Dan Quinn was my overall point there. Yeah. And uh, just to, one final point to, to round out the conversation on the defensive line before we uh, head to the back half of the uh, Falcons defense. Um, Jacob uh, Tuioti Mariner, um, yeah. you know, he ended up being our sixth highest rated defender for PFF. So that's a name to pay attention to maybe for next year. Uh, someone that I think surprised a little bit, you know, got onto the the roster, beat out a few guys that, you know, uh, many fans thought, you know, we're going to land on it ahead of him, um, including uh, Justin Zimmer. So yeah. keep an eye on this guy. He may, he may turn into, you know, a good depth piece, a rotational guy, um, at least from what we've seen. And the 187 snaps he got this year, he did a fairly good job. Again, a, a good run defender, sort of, you know, anchoring on that uh, conversation we had. Mm-hmm. And Sanat's probably gone. Yeah, think. well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, I <won't laughs> if he isn't already. Yeah, it's, he's – I don't know what's going on. Or they'll put him in the witness protection program again. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. he'll disappear. Played um, one game. He was like the sixth highest rated PFF. And, and that was it. That was they, it. Yeah. No more of that garbage. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so before we talk about the linebackers, the secondary, and wrap up the conversation about defense, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker, and of course I'm joined by Evan Birchfield, a fellow writer at the Falcoholic. We are talking about the 2019 Falcons defense, doing a review of the season, of the players, how things went. Uh, and in this half of the podcast, we're going to talk about the back half of the defense. And we're going to start with the linebacking core because uh, this was a mixed bag, I felt like, this year. Because a lot of people looked at, you know, sort of the, you know, some of our marquee names and felt like they didn't live up uh, to the billing. Uh, the one name I want to start with is Deion Jones. 
Um, he was given a big contract, uh, you know, signed to a five-year extension really right after Grady Jarrett got his deal, uh, you know, cemented. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this. I feel like a lot of fans um, were putting a ton of criticism on, on Dion, and rightfully so. He had missed some tackles. He had some bad plays. But overall, he had a good season. It wasn't maybe as, as strong as it has been in you know, the past couple of years. Uh, he did grade out as our best coverage player, uh, it, better than any of our corners or, or safeties, um, and actually graded out really high in, in coverage. Uh, he was our third highest rated player uh, per PFF behind only Grady Jarrett and John Kaminsky. Um, so let's start with Deion Jones. Evan, what are your thoughts on how he did his season and whether or not he uh, met, exceeded, or fell behind expectations? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I think the play everybody remembers is like the last one where he basically won the Tampa Bay game for us um, with that uh, interception. Yeah. Um, and then finished second in tackles. Um I mean, he, he was he was good enough to apparently be a Pro Bowl alternate. So I, and I think that's pretty telling of what the season was. It wasn't that he was tremendous or anything like that, um, but he wasn't terrible. Um, I think he was more good than bad. Um, usually those sort of players like that, if you're not taking a notice that they're screwing stuff up, they're probably <laughs> doing like a decent job. And I think like a guy like Jake Matthews, who you're a big fan of, um, plays into that category where if you don't right. notice them – then that's probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think he's had, you know, another good year. I don't think it's anything to worry about. Um, especially when you look at like our other linebackers, I think he's certainly still the best one we have. Yeah. Uh, and I think that feeds into the, uh, the conversation about the, the other guys. Um, yeah. Let's start with, you know, the, the player who was drafted in the same draft class as him uh, and, a player that I think a lot of guys, you know, a lot of fans felt had a ton of potential, ton of athleticism, really fast, you know, a track athlete. Um, and that's uh, Devondre Campbell. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think there's still some debate within the, the Falcons, you know, fandom about whether or not this guy is good. Uh, and uh, I'll save my thoughts, but yeah. Evan, what are your what are your thoughts on Campbell and, and his season and, and really, you know, sort of where the four years he's been here has led to? Yeah, I mean, he's been, I think, average. Um, but you know, he, he's kind of like a roller coaster where he has some good some games where he's really good and then some games where he's just terrible. Um, I mean, I believe he led the team in tackles. And it, it honestly might not matter because it he's probably out the door anyways, um this offseason. So you know, but I think it also helps to know there's guys like Foisada Luakon, um, who, you know, didn't get he's kinda like the Kaminsky guy where the coaches didn't really give him a lot of opportunity, but he still finished like seventh in tackles overall. Um and he rated very high on PFF it seemed like uh week after week. So I'm not too worried about it. Um I think Campbell's replaceable to where you know, there's certainly other positions where I'd be more worried about losing players like Austin Hooper, for example. Um, I think there's better, there's better options at linebacker, but um, yeah. Are you pretty high on him? Uh, Are you hoping he comes back? Uh, I think to your point, Campbell is expendable. Um, And I think, you know, when you look at what Foye Aluakon did, as you mentioned, finished 12th um, on the team in, in the, 
for PFF scores. Uh, I think the way he played made Campbell uh, replaceable. And the thing is with, you know, in the NFL, when you play 67% of your snaps in, you know, the nickel or dime, uh, you know, it's not a pressing issue to have three high caliber linebackers because one of those guys more often than not is going to hit the bench a good bit of the time. So really you need two really capable linebackers. Now, do they think Foyer is going to be that number two guy next to Dion? I don't know. Uh, I, I actually think linebacker is a position that the Falcons could draft at that would surprise a lot of people um, in, the, in the early rounds, even maybe the first round. Uh, that may shock some people, but I, I think it is a possibility, so don't rule out linebacker. Um, but I do think Campbell's going to walk, uh, and I think he'll probably get a deal elsewhere, which is fine. He's he's been a decent player here, but I I don't think he ever lived up to the the potential he had. Um, and on that line, you know, we just mentioned him, Foyer Luicon. So, you know, this guy was undrafted a couple years ago out of uh, Yale, and he's also, by the way, uh, the player that told the coaching the that told the coaching staff about Jaden Graham because uh, they played together at Yale. They were teammates. Um, so what are your thoughts on Foyer? Uh, you just heard mine. Do you feel like he is uh, someone that is going to slot in as a starter next year? Or do you think he's really more a depth guy, a rotational guy? What, what are your feelings on him? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be much better than Campbell or anything, but I think you slide Campbell out and insert Foy, and it's not much of a drop-off, um, at least based on the limited action I've seen him play this year. This is where, you know, the – the coaching staff feeling more job security, they probably would have, or probably should have had him getting more action. Um, but I mean, he was rating high every week for a reason. That's because he's pretty damn good and he's, you gotta be smart. He went to Yale. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope he gets more action next year. There's still the off season. So as you mentioned, probably could draft somebody. It could be a cheap option in free agency. That's, you know, much easier uh, to handle than, you know, paying whatever Devondre Campbell is going to get. Um, cause somebody will pay for it. Line people love linebackers and in, in the off season and free agency. So I, I don't think I, if I had to pick one player on defense who isn't going to be, be back. And I was like pretty positive about it. It's probably Devondre Campbell. I just think he's expendable. Um, as you mentioned earlier. So yeah, yeah. give Foy a chance, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, I think, Foyer has deserved it. Um, you know, one of the names I've seen linked to the Falcons as a potential first round draft pick was Isaiah Simmons out of uh, Clemson. Now he's, you know, he is really sort of a kind of guy who could play at safety. He's, you know, projected to have a really fast 40 time covers a lot of ground. Um, so he's someone that, you know, could slot in as, as a safety, as a, as a linebacker, um, this is what's going to make this offseason really interesting. The Falcons could go in a whole you know, ton of different directions. But, uh, yeah, for Foyer, um, I, I feel like the team sees him as a fringe starter um, and someone that could be decent, maybe not a, a pro bowler, but a decent starter, uh, which is what makes me think that, you know, they may still decide to draft someone that could be sort of, you know, the one-two punch uh, if you will, like what Carolina had, you know, with Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley, where they pair someone up with Deion Jones, where you've got these two guys that, you know, cover the entire middle of the field. They've got speed, coverage, tackling, 
that you know you, you're you're not going to get anything done in the middle of the field with those two guys. And I'm not sure that Foyer is that guy. I like him a lot, I, especially for where we got him. Uh, fantastic value, you know, good player. Uh, but I'm not sure that he's going to be a cornerstone in this defense. So that's why I feel like linebacker could be a position uh, the team looks at in the draft. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, let's move on to the secondary because this is uh, – I feel like of all the units on this defense, this is the one that has been the most frustrating at times. Um, obviously, it started very early on with uh, – the return of uh, Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal and mm-hmm. Keanu Neal quickly going back out to injury. You know, he uh, missed most of last year with a torn ACL, looked to be coming back this year and immediately tore his Achilles. <sighs> so let's talk about the safeties. Um, Ricardo Allen, uh, who p- did play the entire season, coming off that torn Achilles from 2018. Um, and then eventually, you know, after they rotated through some guys, I think DeMonte Casey ended up being, um, you know, the other safety back there. So not, mm-hmm. we didn't really have a true strong safety in the traditional sense, the, the thumper, you know, yeah. like a Keanu Neal, uh, Ricardo, uh, he played more in that role than, than, uh, Casey did Casey, you know, ended up being more of the, the, the center fielder at times. Um, but what are your thoughts on Allen KZ? Um, are you looking forward to Neil coming back? Uh, are you concerned about his injury history at this point now? Uh, what's your overall thoughts on the safety position? Yeah, I mean, I love Keanu Neal because I love hitters. Like that old school football, like Deontay uh, Whitner and, uh, you know, William Moore, who used to like pile drive people on the ground. Oh, yeah. But it's like, I mean, because he, he honestly, for his size, is a hitter. Um, yeah. He's just much quicker and, you know, obviously smaller size. But Ricardo Allen's such a leader on defense. Um, you, I mean, he's – you could just talk about his accolades. He's, what, the Walter Payton Man of the Year for the Falcons nominee. Um, so maybe he'll win that thing. Um, and then I, I just can't get out of my mind the game against the Philadelphia Eagles, and that was like week two, um, the Falcons' first win. But when he was in the end zone and he was directing uh, – was it he was directing somebody and he was basically like let him come by uh, you know, yes. and it was Nelson Aguilar in the end zone yeah, yeah who went up and basically caught the ball but then Allen like popped him and yeah it was a great play um and, and I'm glad that was like mic'd up because it showed you know he's very knowledgeable um you know and, and then you can't help but root for the guy considering like he was drafted – I mean, I'm from – or not from Daytona, but that's where I live, and he went to high school here um, in Mainland High School. And, you know, to see the road he took where he was a defensive – or a cornerback, I believe, um, for Mike Smith, and then I think he ended up getting cut or he somehow did. being on the practice squad or something too. And then just to see how far he's come, like he's only 28, I think, um, you know, finished the team – uh, or the season third in tackles. Uh, I think he, you know, he's just a guy you want around that defense. Um, he's a leader, you know, I'm happy for him and I, I hope he sticks around. I think he had a, you know, pretty good season considering he missed, you know, last year. Um, I think the injury concerns gone. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Uh, I love Rico. Uh, I feel like he's one of those guys that, um, 
he does more than people see. You know, people always think Definitely. to plays, and you know, to your point, he's one of those guys who gets guys in the right place. He maybe didn't have his best season um, uh, uh, of the ones he's had in Atlanta, uh, but I think it's also a tale of two two halves where he, you know, he started with Keanu next to him. He had to go through a, a cycle of guys next to him. Uh, so there was more on his plate from a responsibility standpoint. And uh, I think that probably, you know, uh, hurt him during the season some, but I felt like he finished it really strong. And I, I, I'm, I am very happy with him as uh, one of our safeties. So uh, as for KZ, you know, he, he's an interesting story because, you know, 2018, we saw uh, this ball hawk come out of the fifth round. And he, I think he led, he was tied for the lead in uh, tied for the lead, lead, the league lead. Oh my word. He was tied for the league lead in interceptions in 2018. And even this year, I think, Oh, how many did he have? He had just a few, right? Like two or three interceptions. Um, He had three. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he was someone that, um, a lot of people were thinking, oh, he's going to be fantastic in the slot. And actually, you know, when he started the season, he was not particularly good in the slot. He was having a rough start. Um, but I, it, once he moved back to safety, I felt like he, he started coming alive again. And uh, so to me, he's, he is also another player. And he, by the way, he finished uh, 13th, uh, KZ mm-hmm. did, in the PFF ranking. So um, he's a player I feel like is a better fit at safety. Uh, I like what he did there. But then the question becomes – you know, if you bring Keanu back, uh, which, you know, they're, they're going to, he's on the, his fifth year deal. Um, and, and, you know, what's that going to look like in 2020? So what are your thoughts on KZ and, and maybe, you know, the, the conundrum of him and, and Keanu and Allen, you know, sort of competing for two spots? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's so talented that you don't want to take him off the field and you just want to find a way to get, get him in there. Um, and certainly with Keanu's injury history, you know, you can't just be like, oh, he's going to be perfectly fine. You right. know, we don't have to worry about, you know, him going down. It's nice to have somebody who can fill in like that. Maybe not the same level and same player as Neil, but can certainly fill a hole. Um, I don't know. Maybe they look at him in the nickel. Um, it's it's kind of tough to say. Um, because I don't know what they think about Keanu Neal's injury. And I think that's going to be something worth watching this off season um, because they did have a safety problem. It seemed like where, you know, they found, I mean, how often do the Falcons actually make um, in season trades and stuff where they sent Duke Riley to the uh, Eagles for right. um, oh, Jonathan Cyprian or something. Cyprian. Yep. And then he got like injured after a game, of course. <laughs> Um, one game yeah so I mean that shows you right there like I mean that was just a weird you know trade um to begin with um and you know it didn't benefit them in any way but it kind of showed their hand that they were nervous about the safety position even though I think KZ was fine but um so I think that's certainly you know probably something they'll address in the draft um I could easily see them you know because you that sort of position you it doesn't hurt to have great depth and you know they could yeah. maybe build around i mean i said ricardo's 28 um i don't know his birthday so he could be 29 by the time the season rolls around um so he's getting up there you know doesn't hurt to have some depth there yeah. um but i mean i think you know kz it's you can't help but be excited like he's only shown that you know he's got some talent um 
you know, he what what was he drafted? He wasn't like a high pick or anything. It was like a fifth round pick or something. Yeah, fifth round. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, fifth round picks fall apart all the time. Um, so definitely a steal, I think, for considering what he's given us. Didn't he finish last season uh, tied for most interceptions in the league? Like yeah. he has the potential. <laughs> he had seven, yeah. uh, seven interceptions in yeah. 2019. And then, I mean, three this year. That's you know, it's obviously not seven, but it's not like a like he had zero. Oh. Yeah, and he's he's only twenty six. Um, yeah, and you know we drafted him in two thousand seventeen, so we still have another uh, so seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. So next year will be his final year on his rookie contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I mean I feel like it's good to keep him around and see what happens. Uh, Definitely, and you know that's uh, ultimately what I think the team will do. There, there's no reason to to try to make a decision yet, um, and certainly they'll want to see where Keanu Neal is before making a decision about his long-term mm-hmm. future with the team. Um, but yeah, I feel like the safety position has been uh, relatively stable, you know, and got better as the season went along. Um, as for the rest of the secondary, the corners, this is where I think the conversation turns a little bit. Um, you know, we've got uh, Desmond Trufant, the, who's been, I think arguably uh, one of those Jake Matthews type players, uh, as mm-hmm. you were saying earlier, where he's he's usually does his job really well, and the fans don't notice, and then they only notice when he does something wrong. Yeah. And uh, I feel like he gets a ton of criticism, but he's actually still a really good player. Um, we had Isaiah Oliver, who is Robert Alford's replacement, um, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, Kendall Sheffield, uh, who was our fifth round pick this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bleedy Ray Wilson. Uh, obviously, there was um, Jordan Miller. He didn't do enough, I think, this year to, to warrant. Uh, he only yeah. had 25 snaps on defense, so we, we won't spend any time and talking about him. And he'll be suspended. Yeah, for uh, first three games, Couple right? Games, yeah. Yeah, so not, not exactly a, a great <laughs> not way a to great start, start off. great start, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and Sheffield, actually, he was a fourth-round pick, pardon me. Um, oh, okay. From, I know uh, he was, he was uh, one of the fastest – players overall in the drafts so. right yep and we saw some of that speed so. yeah we definitely did and we saw his ability to keep up with uh you know some of the best receivers uh so mm-hmm. a lot of potential there but let's start with desmond trufant some quick thoughts on the veteran um whether he not whether or not he had a good season in your eyes and whether he's worth keeping around next year yeah i mean he'll be probably like 30 he's 29 right now and don't know his birthday, but um, he he played basically half the season um, before going on an IR, and he still led the team in interceptions. And that used to be the thing he would always hear about was we'd see him drop interceptions. Well, you know, he got the interceptions. He led the team in interceptions. So I don't think, you know, injuries happen. There's not – so if you combine, you know, those next couple games, he's finishing the season – if he kept the current pace at, you know, seven or eight interceptions and that's, you know, that's pretty solid. Um, especially for a guy who's been labeled as somebody who drops interceptions. Um, (laughs) you know, I I think, I think he's worth keeping even around because of how young everybody else is. Um, you want to have a veteran presence and it's not like he's like 34 or something. He'll be 29 next year. Oh, okay. So his birthday fairly recent. So starting the year, he'll still be 29. Yeah. You definitely keep him. I think. I think that's just fans overreacting and nitpicking, just like the Jake Matthews thing. Yeah, and you know, to to beat on to the PFF drum a little bit, he finished fifth. Uh, so he was, you know, the, the there was Grady Jarrett, Kaminsky, Deion Jones, Adrian Claiborne was fourth, uh, and then Desmond Trufant was our fifth highest 
rated mm-hmm. defender. So I think that you know tells you again he was our highest rated in coverage besides um, uh, Deion Jones. So he was you know right underneath him in, in coverage scores. So uh, yeah, to me, true font you got to keep him at least one more year. Uh, I know fans are looking at the cap hit and they're like, oh, well, we got to do something about that. You can free up the cap in other ways. Um, and honestly, I think. Uh, you made a very good point, which is a lot of these other guys, you know, whether it's Oliver, Sheffield, um, uh, Jordan Miller, they're all young. So mm-hmm. I think you need a veteran presence, um, especially a veteran like Trufant, who has played at a high level in the league for, you know, several years. Uh, so I, I feel like bringing him back is is definitely the right move. And I think it will happen. He's He's been a good player. Uh, you know, again, for fans who, you know, are sort of beaten up on him, I feel like it's unwarranted. Uh, he is our our absolute best uh, corner, and I think that will be true again in 2020. So mm-hmm. let's let's talk about Isaiah Oliver because I feel like he is a player who um, a lot of fans were had high hopes for him, in part because they figured, okay, he can't be any worse than Robert Alford was before he left, um, and and yet Oliver started the season sort of really up and down. Um, and I would argue he actually finished the back half of the season really strong, even though his final PFF score made him 24th on the team in, in defense. Um, if you look at his you know, performance first half versus second half, it's clear he improved. You know, he he mm-hmm. was a much better player in the second half of the year than he was in the first half. Um, what are your thoughts on Oliver uh, and maybe the, the potential for him to get better as, as, you know, as he gets more time in the league? Yeah. I mean, being a cornerback is probably the most difficult job in the NFL, I think, because you're, it's such a passing league. You're on an Island. A lot of the times, you know, going against these guys who know what they're doing, but you have to, you have to figure out what they're doing and then react to it in real time. Like it's such a difficult position. Um, And I can't say that enough, but you know, it's also one of those positions where you have to learn and you get a lot of experience based on how often you're out there and I think he's only going to get better. I mean, you see defensive backs who get better over time, like people like Darius Slay, who is with the Detroit Lions. You know, they're not known the second they walk in the league. They get yeah. better over time, um, and then they get up to that status. So I think, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be, a, you know, an elite talent or anything, but, I mean, there's no reason to bail on him right now. Right. Um, it was his yeah. first year starting. Yeah, exactly. And then he, you know, finished the season with what three pass deflections. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going into the off season question. Even though, if you look at mock drafts, uh, majority of them probably have us looking at defensive or uh, cornerback as they do every season. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried uh, with what Oliver showed. I, I know, I do remember thinking the beginning of the season how it, he kind of started off a little rough. Um, but, you know, he finished the season, as you mentioned, strong in the second half. Um, and, you know, now they have a new secondary coach who probably will help them um, because I thought Cleveland's secondary was pretty decent. I think that's where he came from. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Kendall Sheffield, uh, the the rookie, uh, I feel like he – he showed a lot. He's, he had the struggles you would expect out of a, a rookie corner. Um, ton of athleticism, as you mentioned earlier. Um, just a ton of speed, the ability to cover a lot of ground. Uh, I'm very bullish on his potential. 
Uh, he, he obviously, you know, as a rookie, uh, this is not going to surprise anybody. He graded out as one of our worst defenders um, for a very, very tough position to learn in the NFL. Evan, you made the great point, and I think it bears repeating that, you know, of all positions in the NFL, usually corner is considered the hardest to adapt to in the NFL. So, um, and that certainly held true. But at minimum, I think uh, Sheffield showed a lot of potential. Uh, he has the kind of athleticism that can make him successful in this league. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the the rookie and how he did this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at when Font went down, um, I think he came in and stepped up. You know, he, he did have some rookie mistakes and stuff like that, but it wasn't anything to where, you know, he got exposed and the Falcons lost because of it. Um, I mean, obviously, in the scenario we're talking about where they bring back Font, you know, he can play more nickel. He is a quick guy. Um, as I mentioned earlier, one of the fastest in the draft. I, he might have even been the fastest. Um, I'd have to look at his 40 time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about him. Um, I don't have, like, a bad taste in my mouth about, like, Kendall Sheffield or anything. So, you know, usually after your rookie year, you kind of have that concern. But uh, fourth-round pick, you know, pretty good. Something to, something to look at this offseason, though, is, you know, I don't think they'll draft – a defensive back high but will they look at one later in the draft probably because they they always seem to look at that position um because of how important it is so you know yeah yeah and i i feel like uh of all the positions on the field uh, corner is one you could draft almost every single year because of, yeah well know, and they turn the turnover that's why i never understand when teams you know it works out for some but the turnover on defensive ba- or cornerbacks I keep saying defense back cornerbacks is so like so high. I mean, it's you think of that one guy who was with the Raiders, uh, Awesomewall or whatever, right? And then he went to the Eagles, and everybody thought that was the super team, and then he was nothing. Fell apart. Yeah, because it's like one season you could literally be great at a as being a cornerback, and then the next be absolute trash. You yeah. know, it's just it's it's a tough position. Um, especially when you're going from one team to another. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't help but feel after this past you know season, the young talent we have at cornerback, I definitely don't have, you know, negative thoughts about them. I think they're, they've shown that there's potential there. Um, and then you add in Trufant, who's a veteran, you know, yeah, it, you got to feel good about it. Um, but we'll see. So long as he can stay healthy. I think the, the one thing yeah. with Trufon is he's, you know, he's been missing some games in the past few years, and hopefully that is not a, a trend that continues. But um, at minimum, you know, I think uh, Trufon, Oliver, Sheffield, there's a lot to like there. Um, it's not a certainty. Nothing in the NFL is a certainty, especially, especially in this position. Um, one last name I want to highlight, Bleedy Ray Wilson. He finished the season really strong. You know, came in and, and filled mm-hmm. in a lot for a Trufon. I think he uh, he he had a really nice stretch of games uh, with several pass breakups. I think he had he finished the season with uh, six, I believe, and uh, really you know sort of did what you want from um, a veteran and uh, you know stepped in in a pinch, started and, and did a, a good job. So uh, he's he's another guy. Uh, I don't think he's under contract in 2020. So you know if the Falcons can bring him back for a relatively inexpensive deal, uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, guys like that are hard to find. Um, mm-hmm. So defense on the back half, the the linebackers, the secondary, 
give me your grade. What do you think uh, they deserve for the 2019 season? Yeah, so I, I gave the defensive line a C-. minus. Um, in total, full, full season for the back half, uh, I don't know, maybe a D plus. Um, and that's because, as I mentioned earlier, the my grading scale is like, if you're an A, you're like elite talent. Um, right. So they're not no Legion of Boom or anything like that. And, you know, <laughs> they were missing Keanu Neal and they, you know, did have injuries, but you know, there's certain games where they played well and it was evident of that. But then there were certain games where I think they got, you know, exposed. Um, you, you just, I mean, you look at like, I don't know where they're playing, you know, Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. And that was an ugly game. Um, he was pretty much passing all over the field. Uh, so like, you know, but you can nitpick all you want. I think, right. I don't think they were, like garbage they weren't like an f minus or anything like that but there's always room for improvement i think in the secondary especially when you do have an injury like that so uh yeah yeah, what'd you give them yeah i'm sort of leaning towards the same grade uh you know a c feels like it's giving them a little bit too much credit because i you know unlike the defensive line which i feel like got significantly better uh in the second half and, and at least was consistently good at stopping the run um, the secondary was a sieve for the first half of the year. Um, and really it wasn't until the second half where they became less, uh, you know, uh, sort of exposed. Um, I, I will say I, I felt like they did a good job against subpar wide receiver talent. Like they really did a good job of locking down guys who weren't at the top of the list. But, you know, when they did face some big names, they generally gave up yards. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, D plus, C minus in that range feels eh, about right. Uh, I, I still am bullish about their potential. You know, as we mentioned, I still feel like this is a unit that can improve a good bit next year. I don't, you know, you, you said it and I think I'm going to echo it. I don't think they're going to be a legion of boom. They're not going to be a top unit. Um, but I think they can be, uh, especially if you give them more of a pass rush, more of a consistent mm-hmm. pass rush, they can be a good enough unit that you can put together a top, 15 defense yeah. next year and, and you don't need an elite secondary i mean you look yeah. at um you know to just to double back on them i mentioned earlier the minnesota vikings defensive line um just because i think a lot of people watch that game hoping the saints would lose and they did but um you know you look at how their team's structured where they don't have the best defensive backs they're actually missing cornerbacks they had um oh what was his name they had one of their better blanking on him but one of their cornerbacks went on IR and they were you know they looked pretty fine you know Michael Thomas was essentially shut down Xavier Rhodes you know he's been getting exposed like all season yeah um but they have they have really good um in Harrison Harrison Smith they have really good safeties and that's kind of what we have um you get that you add those two pass rushers even one great pass rusher and all of a sudden, you know, it's going to make the secondary look better because the quarterback is going to be forced to make terrible throws. Like, even the worst uh, cornerbacks in the NFL are capable of doing their job. Um, right. <laughs> it's just, you know, if they have – if they're left on the island because there's no pass rush, I mean, a lot of cornerbacks are going to – unless you got, like, Deion Sanders or something back there, they're going to struggle. So, you know. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um so, Evan, final thoughts on the defense uh, before we wrap up this podcast? 
Um, I'm just glad Dean Quinn isn't running it anymore. Um, <laughs> as we started the as we started the podcast, I think we should end it the same way. Yeah, um, fantastic. You just, I mean, you see the night and day difference between, you know, and I'll admit, I'm one of the people that was like, oh, Dan Quinn's back to being the defensive coordinator like he was when we went to the Super Bowl. Awesome. I can't yeah. wait. Yep. But it blew up. The first eight games were terrible. Um, and then, I mean, it could be the world's biggest coincidence, but it isn't. Raheem Moore stepped in. Um, you know, in credit to Dan Quinn, he basically said, you know, I'm sucking here, do this. Right, and, you know, and I think that honestly is why he's still around because that that is an important thing to do because a lot of these people have massive egos where they don't want to admit yep. failure. Nope, I mean nobody wants to admit failure, um, and that's essentially what he did by stepping back and letting Raheem Moore step in. Um, you know, and that's the players love him. That's the leader thing. Um, double back to that. I mean, that's just as important as anything, I think, is having players who actually want to win for you. Um, you know, not to just focus on Dan Quinn, but I think it's relevant here where, you know, he has confidence in Raheem Morris. His job was on the line, and he basically said, Raheem, I'm doing a terrible job. Here you go, run it. And yeah. he ran it. And, uh, and honestly, he, I think you're right. I think that is a big factor for why yeah. he was allowed to come back. Yeah, so. I mean, he saved his job. I mean, the offense, you could argue, played better. But the defense, you know, really woke up. Um, yeah. I mean, you just look at the – for me, I'm a big turnover guy. If you're winning the turnover margin, you're going to win the game, I think. Um, I mean, four turnovers by the defense in the first eight games. That's that's so bad. <laughs> they had the, – and then the next time they had turnovers against the Carolina Panthers, they had four. So they matched it two games into – Raheem Morris running the defense, um, you know, and it's just, it's night and day difference. Uh, but I mean, that's my overall thoughts. And, you know, I don't want to be excited because this team's stupid and likes to get our hopes up and just destroy them. Um, but I'm more optimistic about this defense than I was say week eight or week nine. Um, you know, I think Raheem Morris it should be a head coach, you know, somewhere else probably pretty soon. Yeah, um, we may I only think, have him for a year if yeah, things go well next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so I mean, we'll see. We'll see what they add this off season. Um, I don't think the defense is terrible. I don't think people need to panic. I think Raheem Morris, um, honestly, is doing a pretty damn good job considering. Um, yeah. You know, in the back half of the season, now he'll have a full off season of being the defensive coordinator. So you know, now he can actually focus on. You know, because I believe he – didn't he start the season as a passing coordinator or something yeah, like that? Yeah, so assistant he wasn't head even coach. On, he wasn't even on defense. Yep. Now, he know, started he a, with the Falcons on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, but. yeah. But, I mean, like, he went into the bye week and got the reins, and his next opponent was at the New Orleans Saints who – I mean, they were riding high at that point. Like, yeah. I, nobody gave him a shot, and we held him to nine points. Yeah. Um, that says – and they – I think what also gets lost in that is they were also on a bye week. So they had all that time to prepare for us as well. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really high on Raheem Morris. I'm excited. You know, I think the defense is only going to get better um, or they should. I'll say that. So yeah, yeah, we'll absolutely. see what happens. <laughs> yep. So uh, it, it, as for me, I think you, you echoed it. Uh, you already said it. Um, Dan Quinn's best move was firing Dan Quinn. 
and uh, where this <laughs> defense was concerned. So uh, what that means for 2020, I'm not sure any of us know with any certainty, but uh, it is at minimum, it has certainly made, uh, made the team interesting, uh, at least in, in some of the wrong ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that, we're going to wrap up this, uh, this review of the 2019 Falcons defense. Evan, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Evan Birchfield and also writing for the Falcoholic. Um, you know, I know it's the off season for the Falcons, but, um, you know, get on the Falcoholic every now and then read some of our stuff. You know, we have a lot of great writers covering, you know, everything from the draft to like what we're talking about tonight, defensive stuff. So, uh, you know, and then there'll be more draft stuff as the weeks progress and more, uh, certainly more free agency talk and everything else. So, yeah, appreciate you listening to me and DW Talk. Yep. As for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Of course, my articles at thefalcoholic.com. So, for Evan Birchfield, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk with you next time.